It's from the uh, book of Mark, and it's chapter 8, uh, verses 22 to 26. And in my Bible, it's got the heading, The Healing of a Blind Man at Bethsaida. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he'd spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, don't go into the village. Well, we've been um, uh, venturing into the things of Christmas and uh, rightly going through what Christmas means and the birth of Christ and everything else. And then today we come back, as it were, on track to our sermon series. We're uh, doing a canter through Mark's gospel. That's what we're trying to do, to uh, journey all the way through. We'll finish at Easter, but journey all the way through with what... Um, uh, the story of Jesus' life, so that we get a, a, the big picture, as it were, uh, together. And today's uh, passage is one of those really interesting and, and thought of to be one of those trickier uh, passages in the gospel because a, a number of unusual things happen uh, in uh, this uh, story, this healing of this blind man. The first thing that's unusual is that this is the first, um, this is the only gospel in which this story is told. This is the only recording. It's recorded in Mark's gospel. Uh, secondly, Jesus didn't heal somebody instantly. It took two different things. He, he um, uh, took stages, as it were, uh, to heal him. Um, firstly, it says, uh, then Jesus spitting on the man's eyes, he laid, then laid his hands on him and asked, can you see anything now? The man looked around and said, yes. He said, I can see people, but I can't see them very clearly. I can't help thinking when I read that, you probably wouldn't see very clearly if someone just spat in your eye. I don't, did anybody else think that when you read that passage? I'm sure that's not the real uh, interpretation of it, but one does think that. Um, and then it says, then Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes again, and his eyes were opened. So it's, it's unusual uh, in that way. Now, I'd just like to say, if anybody does come for ministry here, I don't think we're going to introduce the spitting in people's faces at St. Paul's. So you too, do feel confident that that's not going to be a ministry that we're going to adopt. But it does leave us asking the question, what's going on here? Because it is unusual, isn't it? I mean, why would one do that? What's that about? What, why didn't... Jesus do like he did in so many other occasions when he laid hands on somebody or he spoke to somebody and they were healed instantly. What, what was it that caused this two stages to happen and, and why did he do it in such an unusual way? Well, I guess that one of the things we can be sure of is that it's got to have some meaning. Jesus never did anything in a sort of haphazard and purposeless way. Everything he did was done for a reason. Now lots of people have read all sorts of things into this passage. Some said, you know, maybe Jesus didn't have the power to heal him. Um, 
uh, they wondered whether the, the man's blindness was particularly difficult to heal. Um, we don't know. We don't know exactly what's going on. One can't tell exactly what's going on, but but it seems to me that Jesus always had the power to heal. Otherwise, the ultimate healing wouldn't have come. Uh, blindness is blindness. Uh, I'd love to think that that we. Uh, uh, that, that, that anybody we prayed for that might receive healing in some way. So if this, is, if this is true, what then can we learn from it? Well, I think to understand this passage, this little bit, we have to understand Mark chapter 8. We have to see what's going on with Jesus and the disciples. Um, if you remember back to the beginning of Mark chapter 8, uh, we got the miracle of the feeding of the 4,000. After that, Jesus has an argument with the Pharisees. And uh, uh, Jesus got in a boat and warned those who were listening to him. He says, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Beware of the arguments that they bring. Beware of what they sow. In a sense, telling them, be wary of, of hearing the wrong stuff. Uh, allowing the wrong stuff to be sown into your life. It's interesting, isn't it? I, I think that often about our media. Um, uh, you know, the, we, we, we buy newspapers or do it on the internet, whatever it might be, and we, we read whatever's going on. And, and sometimes we forget that um, uh, uh, even BBC News is written in a way to get ratings, to get people listening. Newspapers are written that people would buy them. And we don't necessarily get the real news. We get a perspective on the news. That's one perspective, and then there's another perspective that might come in a different way. But the content is not always rich and rewarding. It's, it's important to use our own minds and to think and research what's going on if we really want to know about what's going on in a particular situation. And then the disciples start to argue. They, they're, they're hungry. And uh, this is chapter 8, verse 16. It says this, And at this they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying and said, Why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Have your, ha you have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up? 12, they said. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet, he asks. Basically, Jesus is saying, he's saying to them, how can you be so blind to what's been going on even after everything that you've seen. That's what he's saying. Surely you must understand now. Most parents at some point in their lives say that to their own children. Haven't you heard me say? Don't you understand? Isn't it fairly obvious? You know, tidying your room is just something that makes life work. You know, it's, it's a very simple... As anybody else have children who have the problem of putting something on the top of the worktop when the dishwasher's right below it. You know, it's just that little journey. Just can't you just open the door and put it in there? 
Instead, they pile it on the top. You come down and there's an empty dishwasher and lots of dirty dishes on the top. You think, well, that's not the way it works, is it? If you would just put it in there, it would work. I've told you so many times. And of course, when you say it again, they get terribly defensive and get very angry with you. You know, oh, you're always having a go at me. Well, no, I'm not actually. I just would love the dishwasher filled. That's the thing, you know. But don't you understand what I've been trying to communicate to you? And of course, the answer is yes, they do. And uh, uh, they do understand and no, they don't understand. Yes, they've heard it and no, they can't remember it. You know, my, my, one of my old bosses used to have, I used to say he had very selective hearing. He was, always, he was deaf in one ear. I knew which ear he was deaf in. I always sat the opposite side. And sometimes I'd say something and I'd say, have you heard me, Chris? And he said, did you say something? I'm deaf in that ear. And I think, no, you're not. You're deaf in the other ear. I know full well that you're deaf in the other ear. And he just didn't want to hear what I was saying. And I think sometimes that's true, isn't it, of our children. But haven't Jesus saying to the disciples, you've seen all of this and yet you still don't see. You've heard all of this and yet you still don't hear. You've been part of all of this and yet you still don't understand. It's in that context that he then moves in to the healing of this blind person. And I think it's linked to this. I think that with this man, Jesus demonstrates the disciples' lack of understanding. It's possible to have eyes and yet not see very clearly. Jesus takes the blind man by the hand. Uh, He's brought to Jesus by a group of people and Jesus leads the blind man away. That this group of people are begging Jesus to touch him and heal him. But Jesus takes him out of the village and he spits in his eyes, lays his hands upon him and says, can you see anything? Now around Jesus are the disciples. Around him, they've come with him. And the man looks around and he says, yes, I can see people, but I can't see them very clearly. They look like trees walking around. And that's like the disciples. They've seen all that Jesus has done and yet they still don't see clearly. They perceive who he is, but they still don't understand. They've heard all that he's taught, but they still don't really hear. They haven't really received it in their hearts. I want to come back to that in a minute. Then, then, then he places, Jesus then placed his hands on the blind man's eyes again, and his eyes are opened, and his sight is completely restored. So he sees everything clearly. Sometimes it takes a little while for us to understand the things of the kingdom of God. When I uh, first became a Christian, um, uh, it was an unusual thing in my home. My my parents uh, weren't particularly keen on it. But when I first became a Christian, I really didn't understand everything about it. I still don't. Is there anybody here who does? We still don't, do we? We still journey. We're still exploring. We're still discovering. We're still finding out. We see and we hear and we understand, but but we don't understand it all. We don't see it all. We don't perceive it all. But after a while, as you journey in it, so you understand more, so you hear more, so you see more, so your faith grows 
Okay, so what can we take from this passage? Uh, 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 Four little things. Number one, I think if you study Jesus' miracles, you'll know that he always has the power to heal anything and everything. He's always got the power there. From from the smallest of healings, from Peter's sick mother-in-law, to the biggest of things, with the raising of Lazarus from the dead. He heals a man carrying guilt and a burden in his heart, as well as a woman caught in adultery. He's not limited by anything or anyone, and yet he never treats us all the same. He heals one with a touch, another with a word, another perhaps with a glance, another even from a distance. I think it's one of the puzzles of the Gospels. Jesus is, as it were, you can't pin him down. You can't put a formula around it. This is how he works. You can't do that. He just works in different ways at different times with different people. How come God treats one person one way and another differently? How come when two people get cancer, one lives and another dies? How come God answers the prayer of one and seemingly ignores the prayer of another? I guess the answer is that we don't know. He might do for you exactly what he did for somebody else. He might do more, he might do less, we don't know. But what we do know is that he does work and he will walk with us in whatever we're going through, in any part of our lives. He's God and he deals with this in the way that he wants to and he deals with this in a way that I think he believes that we will be able to cope with it. And everyone who has a prayer life understands this tension. We pray and we cry out to God at different times and sometimes God works in the most amazing and miraculous and instantaneous ways. And other times we think, well, it feels like the door of heaven's closed. Has anybody ever felt like that? I think that's reality, isn't it? That's our journey. We see, but we don't see clearly. We hear, but we don't understand fully. One, uh, I was, when when thinking about this, I was um, thinking about my friend Chris here, who likes going fishing, and he tells us when he goes fishing of the things he caught. I think when I was preparing this, he just told me he'd been fishing and caught nothing. And I was thinking, that's quite a regular thing actually, but I was, I was thinking, I was thinking, it's very common, <laughs> particularly with Chris, but I, I, was thinking that, I was thinking there are some times when you go and you catch nothing. Uh, and it seems uh, that, that, that things are pretty desperate. The next night you go and you catch lots. One day we sense God's spirit working powerfully in and through our lives. And the next day it's as though we are walking through treacle. I think that's the reality of the kingdom. It's the same for all of us. Our God is is an infinitely creative God and he deals with us in different ways. And he walks with us. He has the power to do everything. He asks us to rely on him and to call out to him. And some days it'll be phenomenal. And other days we think, gosh, this is hard work today. But we've made a decision to do it, so we walk through and we do it. It's actually like every relationship, isn't it? It's like every relationship. Sometimes it's glorious and sometimes it's harder work at times. But actually the, the, the accumulative together is that it's always great. We work at it. 
So firstly, God has the power to do anything and everything. Secondly, he deals with us according to our need. We see this quite clearly in this story. He took the blind man outside of the village and dealt with him privately in order to heal him. Even though all his friends had brought this blind man to him, he left the friends behind. He went out and took uh, this man out privately. He, isn't, he's, he doesn't want to meet the expectation of the crowds. Maybe this goes back to the context as well. Beginning of chapter 8, verse 11, the, the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived and they came and started to argue with him. Testing him, they demanded, it says, that he show them a miraculous sign to prove uh, uh, his authority. And in a sense, maybe this blind man is a pawn in there. You know, here's someone who's blind. You prove it through him. And Jesus says, I'm not going to do that just for you. I'm not going to deal with this person for your benefit. I'll deal with this person for his benefit. And he takes him away. He treats him with respect. He takes him away privately. And he lovingly and carefully restores him. And he heals the man in a gentle way, in this two-stage way. And he deals with this man according to his need. God will deal with us according to our need. If we will take our needs to him. If we trust in him to be all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God. And we'll, we, 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 we are prepared to understand that we see but we don't see clearly. We hear but we don't hear everything. We, we understand but we don't understand everything. But we'll trust and we come to him, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with you according to your need. And I'll treat you in a way that is honoring and respectful. I think that God does that. And thirdly, this two-stage healing is really important because it tells us that we don't all get better at the same rate. For every prayer that is suddenly, radically, and completely answered, there are many others who pray for many years whose prayers are only slowly answered. And it's almost as though Jesus is demonstrating that here. In, in all the other healings, there seems to be an instant healing. But here, this miracle takes a little longer. And the truth is that we love something to happen instantaneously. Lindsay and I have been having this talk over the last few days. and, and uh, you know, we have, a, we have this varying theological discussion between us the whole time. We had a debate last night. My, my little girl got engaged this week. I was very proud of getting married. Isn't that great? And my, my wife's saying, we've got to pray for the weather. And I'm saying, I don't pray for the weather. Don't. She says, you've got to pray for sunshine on that day. I say, theologically, I can't agree with you. <laughs> Even though it's our daughter's wedding, I don't think I can pray for sunshine. I won't believe in the prayer. I can't say it. Going to bed last night, she said, how can you say you won't pray for sunshine? You know, we have these. And, 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 and another, of our, another of our debates is we, we pray and we want something to happen instantly. And I say, it won't always happen instantly. <laughs> pray and be there for the long haul. Pray, pray today the answer might come in three years. The answer might come in 10 years. But pray. Don't expect the instant all the time because if you expect the instant the whole time, you'll live a terribly disappointed life. But if you learn to journey in prayer, 
in partnership with God, you live an incredibly fulfilled life. We live in a world where we want the instant. This is the big thing, isn't it? Everything's going to happen uh, instantly. I got a very uh, special present for Christmas this year because the, uh, the new gadget in our home is we've just got a microwave. And uh, uh, it's, uh, I know a lot of you've had them for years, haven't you? But we haven't. So we've got this microwave. And it, we're all going, in fact, Lindsay last night was going, and how do I heat this Christmas pudding up in the microwave? None of us can work it out. We just know to press one button, then it says 30 seconds, and we keep pressing it. That's the, we, we've lost the booklet already that tells us how to do it. So none of us know how to do it. But, it, but it's like, it's instant, isn't it? So I love it. I keep a pot of coffee now, just top it up, cold coffee, put it in. Still haven't quite worked how long to put it in for, but you know, you work that out, press that button again and again. We love the instant, but actually, actually, uh, God often works slowly, bringing change through the faithful prayers of his people. It's true throughout history. God builds his kingdom slowly but surely on a firm foundation. Spectacular healings always amaze us and thank God they still happen and still amaze us. Yet God often chooses to heal slowly and surely and to walk with the wounded and to walk beside us. You know, we have a God who went through pain and suffering. We have a God who knows rejection. We have a God who understands and has gone through everything that we've gone through. That's what's so glorious about our Christian faith. That's what's so wonderful about the person of Jesus Christ. That he will journey with us and and when we fall down, he'll pick us up again, dust us off and help us to move on in life. Jesus tells the story of the sower and the seed, doesn't he? With with some falling amongst the rocks and the seed growing up quickly but withering away because it didn't have roots, it was just instant. Uh, But other falling on the good soil that, that over time its roots go down and it, it grows up strong and sure. And, and sometimes the slow thing is better than the fast thing. Obviously not if you're in a running race or a bicycle race. That, that's not. But the slow, the slow thing grows up strong and sure. And I think that's true of all of our lives. That actually in our lives, the kingdom of God, strong and sure put in there, allowed to grow, allowed to mature, allowed to come to its fullness, will carry us through all of life. The truth is probably that we all have to walk through many stages of learning and growing in life to become mature and strong Christians. That's why Paul uses the image of running a race persevering, reaching the finishing line, pressing on, ensuring that we achieve, he says, full maturity. Keep going, he says. Keep going through the difficult times. Keep going when it feels painful. Keep going when you're out of breath. Keep going when it feels as though you've got to give up. Just keep going, he says. That's what he says. Then you'll reach maturity in Christ. And as we keep going, so that maturity grows stronger and stronger uh, within us. And I think that Jesus is demonstrating something of that to the disciples here. You may not see clearly, but ultimately you will. The the message version in 1 Corinthians says this. We don't see things clearly. We're squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. 
But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. And we'll see it all then. See it all as clearly as God sees us, knowing him directly just as he knows us. But for right now, until that completeness, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Trust steadily in God. Hope unswervingly and love extravagantly. And the best of the three is love. You know, my prayer for us as a church this year is that we'll journey together, pursuing God's presence, seeking maturity, celebrating when God does something miraculous and amazing amongst us, but choosing also to walk together as he deals with us in the long run, as he walks with us slowly, to become mature followers of him, making a difference in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces with our friends and colleagues. That 2013 for us as a church family will be a year that we can look back and say, God is faithful, God is good all the time. Let's stand, shall we?